Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with one co-host this week. I'm Joe Lalo. Andrea is getting her house ready to sell, so she's a little too busy, can join us. Um, but we're going to be answering some of the questions from the Six Figure Authors Facebook group today on topics ranging from going wide with audiobooks, reader magnets, improving box set sales, whether you can or should have a perma-free book one if the rest of your series is exclusive. And we will just kind of see how many more we get through beyond that. Before that, uh, Joe, do you have any news that you would like to share? Uh, not a not a whole lot of news. I uh, finished the rough draft of the Greater Land Saga Two, which is the second book of my new epic fantasy. I got the cover back for the first one, which is now called the Bygone Dagger. So I officially have a title for it. It's always the last thing I come up with. Um, I've had no releases since the end of last year, so I'm eager to set a release date, but I'm toying with the idea of holding on to it until I can get a pre-order up on the second one. We'll see if my willpower holds out. I have other books I could release, but they don't have covers yet because of a previously mentioned difficulty in finding an artist that matches the style of the appropriate cover. So it's going to be a crazy second half of the year for me. I'm going to have between four and six releases in the second half of the year. But the first half has been literally crickets, just silence. So, uh, yeah, that's about it. Just steadily moving toward what is hopefully my first release of the year. That is rough. I like I had the last one in February before I just released the first Epic Fantasy and another side project. And it's like, ooh, that money starts to go downhill, especially like later in a series. I'm not usually making as much as like when I did the rapid release of a new series, three books, bang, 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 uh, like last year. Those are some good months. And then they get a little leaner, like the new releases help. But later in the series, it's only, you know, the diehard fans who are like, oh, book nine, (laughs) you know, it's like, yay. Uh, But yeah, January wasn't too bad. I was lucky enough to get like one of the Kindle daily deals or something or it was i think it was prime reading actually because it was something where it was like a really good month uh you never know amazon sends out those letters and like oh would you like to select your book maybe be in a deal you never know if it's going to be like lame (laughs) or like not really noticeable or something good usually if they actually pay you i think they do for the prime reading most of the time they offer you some money those are the better ones rather than just like hey (laughs) <laughs> would you maybe want your book to be on sale in India on this random day <laughs> in May? Uh, that's hard waiting for uh, covers though. I'm, I'm the same way with titles. I like, I'm envious of people who know them well ahead because then you can order the cover art. That's usually the thing. Like I can give them the description, the plot, but uh, yeah, it's kind of hard until you have the title finalized. Are you, when are you releasing book one now that you have the title or the, yeah, the cover and title? Um, I, I, I have it all edited and everything. I could set a release date immediately. Uh, my book two gets its edit starts on June 1st. So I was thinking of, I'm going to announce a release date by June 1st. I don't know if I'm going to release on June 1st, but, uh, yeah. So within two months, it'll be out the sooner, the better. We'll, we'll, we'll see. So you will have book two pretty much ready. You could rapid release if you wanted to. I, I don't could. know if you want to. For <laughs> I don't have, I, I won't have book three ready. But yeah, my yeah. my yeah for Epic these are pretty darn short. These are it's weird. I was like, let me go back to Epic, and then just couldn't get the length up. Meanwhile, I'm coming down off of you know something that's supposed to be ninety thousand words, and I gave it a hundred and thirty. So I'm just all over the place. 
Yeah, that was sort of my my problem. I ended up writing something different after book one, just because book one was 150 some thousand words. So not the longest thing I've ever written, but I, I needed a break and something simpler. And then so now I, I finished up book two and sent that to my beta readers. And it's like 190,000 words right now. And I'm going to like have to add a couple little scenes. So it'll be fun. I, uh, I proof listened to the audiobook of book one myself, because I usually farm that out and pay someone like $20 an hour, you know, to do it. Um, but I just wanted to get that out there as quickly as possible, which actually Audible approved it really quickly. I was surprised because the letter now says like up to 30 business days, ACX, and it went up like the next day. I was like, wow, that's never happened before. So now I got to hurry up and get the Patreon copy up because uh, I love that BookFunnel offers it now, offers us that's a host on their thing, but it's another place I have to upload the entire audiobook. And with my rural internet, like the download is fine, but the upload's super slow. So <laughs> it's just, I think it took about four hours to get the audiobook up the other night on ACX and find a way. Um, let's see, but other news, like I said, I released my first book in the Epic Fantasy series. I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's now like the two week point. And I did it at $2.99, which I usually do $0.99 cents because I'm usually bringing out book two and three within a couple weeks or, you know, a couple months after that. But um, in this case, book two is coming out more than a couple months later. And book three, I've just started working on that one. So it'll be a couple months after that. So I didn't want to do $0.99 cents when I wasn't going to be making any more from that series for a while. Uh, so I will say... You know, I, you definitely make more obviously on each book sale at $2.99, but I definitely sold fewer books and I usually stay higher in the rankings longer, which, uh, I don't necessarily care that much about the rankings, but it's, it's easier to remember like, oh, that book hung out at, like 150 in the whole Amazon store for three weeks. I'll remember that. Whereas I won't remember like I was selling 300 books a day when that happened or, you know, whatever it is. So this has dropped off quite a bit faster. I, I think I have quite a few KU readers at this point, but I still sell more books in general. So, uh, cause I'm so wide with a lot of my backlist. So I, I would say, you know, I, I would probably, if I do this again, I probably will go back to 90. 99 cents for book one and hopefully be able to rapid release because uh, that's what I like to do. It's really, uh, you know, I was talking to Joe before this, it's been pretty effective for me in the past. And so I'm a fan of it, but uh, with these longer books, I just didn't have it in me to write three big Hurricane books back to back and kind of wait on releasing the first one uh, in, until I had all three ready. Um, I will say as far as blurbs go, I know people, you know, we always wonder, like, can we do better? Can we convert better with the blurbs? I had tried a, kind of a different type of blurb since it was Epic Fantasy. I did more, of, and it's got a big, like, ensemble cast. I did more of a stand back, broader picture about the, what they face as a group instead of a blurb that's more focused on sort of the main character or one of the main characters, which is not what's recommended generally. Like, <laughs> Libby Hawker has some good videos on, uh, on YouTube that you can check out for blurb writing tips. And I think her book, is called Gotta Have It. She, she covers that stuff too. Always recommend focusing, sort of picking a protagonist, focusing on them. But I, one time with my Dragon Blood series, with my Dragon Blood box set, I did sort of a, it was the same type of thing where I had different heroes in different books. So I just had to kind of do a broad overview rather than focusing on one character. And that one has always converted super well. That's like my best selling. I mean, right now it's free, but it's even free. It gets a lot of downloads, whether I'm doing anything or not. So I'm like, always oh, like, well, let me try to replicate that. But eh, it did not really convert very well on this one. I had uh, started Amazon ads three or four days before the release, just on the pre-order. So by the time I, you know, was 
released. I could see, eh, you know, it's always hard to tell with KU, even though they now give you page reads, it's still a little hard to tell right away. Like you can kind of look back on the last two weeks and see, okay, what's the equivalent? How many books were, you know, borrows and read throughs did I get that were basically sales? But, um, I could tell it wasn't doing that well. So I read the blurb, made it more of a, uh, focused on the hero type blurb and it did start converting better right away so that is something you can try if you're you know if you're running ads and just like wow I'm, I'm getting a lot of clicks like the covers are cool right but i'm not getting a lot of people actually buying not getting a lot of reads you know maybe that's a good time to try changing up the ad copy or the blurb copy um uh, other news in this series i was lucky enough or I was lucky enough to pay for it, <laughs> to have the option to pay for a BookBub new release deal. Uh, I had this a couple of days ago, and this was the first one I've had of those. This is the one where they have to select you. This isn't just buy the you know pre-order alert or whatever. Um, so I've only had one other one, and it was like the month or the summer that they started doing it. I think it was in 2018. And that one was on a 99 cent book one, kind of fantasy to secondary world fantasy. And that one was really not worth it. They, they don't insist it be a 99 cent book. And I would say, I would probably say, do not do it on a 99 cent book. This was one of the few places though that they take full price new releases. And, uh, it did go better this time. Uh, but considering it costs about $450 for fantasy, it, it didn't break even. So, you know, it's still kind of a question mark. Like if you get these, do you actually want to? do them. But considering how few opportunities I had to advertise this on sponsorship sites, I think maybe only one of the places that will take 99 cents books was willing to do a 2.99 new release. Uh, you know, I was happy to get it. And uh, it did get a nice bump. That was almost two weeks after the release. So it, it didn't earn out, but it did get more than it did better than the previous time. So you know, maybe take a shot, especially if you're doing a new release, not at 99 cents. All right. Do you have any thoughts on that, Joe? Do you price your new releases lower or like a book one? Do you do 99 cents or do you just go like 4.99 right off the bat? Uh, I I think I've always started off full price. I think uh, so I tend to price a little bit lower with my books. So 2.99 is usually my launch price for my book one. Um, uh, but I don't, yeah, I don't usually drop down to 99 cents. I think I will be with this, with this new release just to give it a, a shot because again, I never did before. Um, and also, I should say, uh, I don't really, I haven't decided yet if I'm going to launch this new epic fantasy as uh, in KU or uh, wide. I'm, I think I'm going to try it in KU again, give KU another chance now that I've, you know, learned a little bit more. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to give 99 cents a try. I don't think I'm going to do this new release thing. Like you, I, I did one ages ago when they first made it an option and, you know, it was, I might have made my money back because again, I didn't launch at 99 cents, but I was unimpressed with considering everything else that BookBub does. Uh, it just didn't, you know, wow me. Yeah, I would guess I ended up in the Epic Fantasy getting like maybe 80 sales at 299 off of that. And I'm sure some KU borrows too. But so when you look at $450, that's uh, not a very good return, but it might have been like a hundred. I'm just, all I can do is kind of compare what it did the day before and the day after. Uh, so hard to say for sure, but it definitely wasn't like the 200 and some you would need to break even at that price point. 
Yeah, you have to let me know how it goes if you do 99 cents. The, the other reason, I only do that on book ones. I always release everything else at full price. And the other reason I do it is because I, I know I'm going to want to run a sale on that book one later on. Like I'll do 99 cents often just for the first couple of weeks or maybe longer if it's still selling really well. But then I bump it up to maybe 2.99 for that first one. And that makes it easier. Later, if I run sales, I don't feel guilty because the readers paid more. Like now I feel like I don't want to run a sale on this for at least a year because people paid their $3. I don't want them to be like bitter. Like, Hey, what is 99 cents or free now? Forget it. (laughs) All right. Should we hop into the listener questions? It looks like I get, we did a little reshuffling because Andrea was a last minute dropout. So (laughs) it looks like uh, Joe, you're going to read the first one for us. Yep. Okay. So uh, first question is from Andy who says, I love all your thoughts on reader magnets. If someone plans on writing three books and rapid releasing them, does it make sense to offer up the first entire book for free as a reader magnet to build newsletter pre-launch and to lead people into the second and third books? So I I think I... No, I've actually never done this. But um, I have done made a book free right away. Uh, I did this when I started my pen name. I, I made it perma-free uh, on all the stores. Uh, but I did the rap- I was doing the rapid release and had book two and three come out right away. But um, as far as doing it for the reader magnet, I generally don't. I would, you know, I like doing a special novella or like a prequel. Usually a novella, a novelette at least. You know, like maybe twenty thousand words. So it's not as big of an investment of my time. Uh, for something I'm just going to always give away free or free right off the bat, I don't necessarily want to spend as much time doing that as, as to write a whole novel. Generally, when I do like something becomes a perma-free book one for me, that's like years after uh, it originally came out, long after I made back all the money on editing and made back what I consider you know a fair investment of my time. Usually, it's after the series is complete. It's something you can start doing. Once you don't have new releases showing up in the stores anymore, it's pretty easy for the series to start dropping off the radar pretty quickly. So that can be a good time to do the the free book one. I mean, you could do it to draw in new people. Actually, I I lied. I did this when I first started writing um, sci-fi under my name. I gave away book one for free to everybody on my fantasy newsletter list, which at the time was my only newsletter list, but I I did start a separate sci-fi one after that. And I think I gave away about a thousand copies to people and it actually didn't hurt the launch of that book at all. Uh, And one thing that was nice with doing it that way, by just giving it away with BookFunnel, was that those people did not then need to go buy the book on Amazon. So I didn't have all my fantasy fans jumping over. You know, we've talked a lot about on the show how when you jump genres, it can kind of mess up the also bots and Amazon doesn't necessarily know how to recommend the book. If a whole bunch of people who usually buy fantasy or suddenly picking up a sci-fi, you end up in the also, your book ends up in the also bots for a lot of the other fantasy books, even though it's sci-fi when what you want is to be in the also bots of a whole bunch of other space opera people or whatever. So, you know, if, but if you, start giving away book one right away, you're kind of in the hole already. <laughs> you, you know, you might have a weaker launch because people that might have bought it now have no need to, uh, you know, and you've pro- presumably invested quite a bit of time and money in book one. Most people don't start off being able to write a book a week <laughs> or even, a, you know, a book a month right off the bat. Uh, so I don't know. I would kind of, my take is to wait and make book one free later on and then to write some other kind of exclusive, like the prequel novella if you have one or you can think up one might be a good kind of thing that you could do exactly what you're talking about kind of get them excited for the series ahead of time um, without actually giving away 
the whole book one. Um, yeah, I agree. I'm a huge proponent of free first and series, but I've never started with a, a, a book one that was free. I wait until uh, two books are out. Uh, and since we're talking about, you know, in my career, for most of my career, I was doing one book per genre per year. Uh, that meant that I was, it was at least two years that book one was available at whatever price I'd priced it at, usually $3, well, $2.99. Uh, and then it would go free. So, I mean, I think that's probably still what I would do and still what I will do if I decide to do a perma-free for this epic fantasy, for example. But uh, uh, it's funny. We talk about reader magnets a lot, and uh, I've almost always added mine long after the fact as a way to revitalize a series rather than to give it a strong launch. Like We recommend reader magnets as being sort of the first thing you put out. But in my case, every time I've put one out, it was like after book three or book four of a series. Uh, and so... You know, I guess that's a piece of, uh, uh, you know, if you don't feel as though you can get your reader magnet out w with the launch, which is recommended, there are other ways you can use it. Uh, and, you know, it ends up being effective in a different way. Uh, it won't lead people into your first, well, it probably will lead people into your first book, but it won't lead people into your first book when your book is, is a new release. Uh, so don't give up on them just because you can't get them out on the time the timeline that you're intending to. I will say too, it's kind of hard to get people onto your mailing list until they've actually read your work. So that's why I'm a big fan of like putting the sign up at the end of book one and then giving them something that after they've read book one, they're really going to want like the, the prequel novella that explains the backstory for this one character or whatever. It's not to say you can't do like uh, the book, book funnel has bundle, you know, all that, what do you call it? promos, cross-author promos that you can sign up for and, and hope to get people on early. Same with a uh, story bundle. Uh, we had those guys on last year. Uh, you can check them out too for um, finding people and doing that kind of thing, but it's, it's just harder. And then you're automatically getting the kind of people that sign up to get free stuff and go out of their way to find <laughs> free stuff to sign up for versus just throwing everything into your launch in the store for people who are willing to pay money for books and then getting them on your list. Uh, that's kind of definitely the method I prefer. All right. Next question is from Jay Elizabeth. I would love to hear about any experience with going wide on audio. I'm about to publish book three in my fantasy series and have pretty much decided to use Voices Share Plus from Findaway Voices instead of ACX. That way my narrator gets a nice upfront payment and I don't have to worry about exclusivity. It's weird doing it mid-series, I know, but I figured I have four and six years to wait out the a ACX exclusivity and I don't want to add to that for the series by putting another one in that category. I guess I was wondering if chirp deals are hard to get or worth it if only the third and later fourth and maybe fifth audiobooks are wide. Thanks. So um, I've never been exclusive with my audio. That was one of the decisions I made that I was rather pleased with later on. Uh, the, the two things I've produced via ACX, I didn't go the uh, exclusive route. I've also never gone for a chirp deal. So you'll probably hear more about that from Lindsay, but I do have some experience with changing direction with my audiobook series midstream because books one through three of the Book of Deacon series are traditionally published through Tantor and they didn't pick up book four. So I, I self-published book four. Uh, I got the same narrator. So if you are listening to the series, then, uh, you know, book four feels like it was produced by the same folks because everyone, but, you know, everything but the, the, uh, the logo on there, uh, is the same. And I can say that there is a sell-through drop. 
between book three and book four, mostly because, and I looked it up when I was answering this question, uh, Audible gets very confused about how what the name of the series is. Like they are all bunched together into the correct series. Uh, actually, a little bit better than Amazon does. Like there's like fractional series numbers and stuff. But they uh, the series name is different on four different like for the four books in the series have three different names for some reason like sometimes it sticks the word series at the end so audible's metadata can be a little bit screwy in the best of times and when you change courses in any way shape or form you're probably going to exacerbate that that said the drop uh, in read through or i guess listen through in this case between books three and book four might not be 100% because of the change in the way that the books are being released. Book three and book four have the lowest read-through of any of the books in my uh, my Book of Deacon series because the first three books come to a pretty good conclusion. There's no real sequel hook to get you to book four. There was also a long uh, delay between the books three and book four. So not scientific to say that uh, the audiobook listen-through uh, dropped because of the way I changed things, but you know it's a it's a data point. And, uh, yeah, so I, you know, it's worth doing things non-exclusive. I preferred non-exclusive. And if you can make the change, do it, but be prepared for things to be a little bit bumpy. Yeah. That was one of my thoughts is that it may have a hard time. Like you'll probably have to email ACX and they may be kind of like, well, you went to somebody else. So we don't really care about you anymore. Cause I've had to email them before just because, something was a little different with like book seven and they didn't automatically put it in the series. So I had to request them to add it to the series, um, which they did. But again, I was going through ACX. So I'm not quite sure. I guess you'd have to email find a way and hope they can get it added to your existing series or just hope you get lucky. I mean, I think they use the metadata from Amazon for the most part. So in theory, they could uh, automatically get it on there. Uh, so for chirp deals, I think I've had two or three at this point, um, always on book ones. I have not tried to get like a book two or book three. Um, I'm not sure they'll go for that. They might. The, it is getting a little more competitive. Like I, I've also been denied. Like the first year, I think I got them whenever I requested it. And like the last time I tried, they're like, nope. Um, it was on a book that had been done before. So they may just be less excited about one like that. But I, I would guess that uh, they're getting more people submitting now too. So my experience, and I think I've done them, all the ones I've had at 99 cents, kind of dropping like a 9.99 audiobook to 99 cents, uh, is that honestly, like it's, it does pretty well. It definitely moves the needle on sales of that book one. Uh, the sell through is kind of, eh. you know, even though I don't pl- price my audiobooks that expensively on find a way where I can choose, you know, I might do book twos and threes. Or I think maybe 1299 is kind of my standard, maybe 999. I'd have to take a peek, but you know, there were some, I continue to sell later books in the series uh, through find a way, but it is, um, yeah, like there's like a big drop off on like the number of reviews and sales. So I feel like the people who sign up for chirp books again are kind of the people that they're willing to pay that 99 cents or maybe 2.99, but taking that jump up to 9.99 or or higher for the next ones, uh, maybe less likely. I like I feel like I'm do much better on eBooks when I make book one of my eBook 99 cents and the next one is 3.99 or 4.99. And I've generally had a much better sell through, and I have good sell through on those series also on Audible where people are just uh, using a credit. I have a dog walking around, <laughs> clacking around, stuck on the hardwood floor. Uh, there's always something. 
but yeah, so it's comparable series on Audible where people are just buying the credits. Pretty good sell through. So, but it hasn't like I, I like the trip deals. I appreciate them, but they haven't been game changers for me in in any way. Like not the way a book bub on an ebook can be for a lot of people. Like a lot of people that's kind of started their career in a lot of ways. Uh, so the other questions in there, you know, I I'm, I was curious if you're also switching narrators. Uh, mid-series or if you were just like your narrator works on ACX and also works through find a way uh, shouldn't be a big deal then but it, I, I have a series where I had to switch narrators after three and uh, there was definitely like a lot of what happened like people really get into the narrators you know and, and I, I understand that as an audiobook listener myself uh, so listeners aren't crazy about that if you have to switch so um, I would also say that uh if you do the voice, you know, I actually want to read a bit about, because not everybody may know what Voices Share is. So I'm just going to read this from Find A Way site just to f get everybody caught up. But um, so they basically say, uh, if you've already created an audiobook with Find A Way Voices, you'll be familiar with the process and Voices Share. You get to pick, you know, you get casting, you get to pick your narrator. When the production finishes, your audiobook gets to reach the entire listening world thanks to our 40 global audiobook sellers and library systems. So everything's the same. But um, you were going to be giving your, you know, if your audiobook, the production is cheaper, which is what she was talking about. Uh, so, like, if your audiobook was going to cost $1,000 with Voices Share, it only costs $500. Uh, the authors keep 60% of the royalties instead of 80 and 20% of the royalties go to the narrator. So, this is definitely a little different than the ACX program. You are locked into selling through Findaway Voices at that point, uh, which... You're basically still exclusive. You're just exclusive to somebody else and they're distributing you to a lot of stores. So it's, but you're not going to be able to like sell your book on your website. If that's something you ever want to do, because you have to sign the deal that says, because your narrator has to get that 20%. So it has to be fair for them. So just that's something to think about too. Also, find a way says there's an application process where you have to provide your sales and marketing information. And so your narrator will have some information ahead of time because they want to know that the book's actually going to sell. So that's another question. And I don't know uh, how your sales are, but if sales are weaker, pretty weak on the first books in the series, uh, you might not even be able to get the deal or get a narrator. So that's just some stuff to think about. You know, uh, I guess that's all I have to say on that. I think that was all she asked. She had about three questions in there, right? <laughs> did I get it all, Joe? Yeah, I believe you did. And uh, I can also sort of yes and with the uh, when you have to change narrators. I my sci-fi series had to change narrators just because the narrator at my uh, publisher left the publisher, so he wasn't in their stable anymore, and they switched to someone else. And it's the only emails I've gotten about the sci-fi audiobooks where oh, I really like the other guy. What happened to him? So yeah, people people get get attached to uh, to narrators and if you can stick with the same one that's definitely a leg up which is why i did so with book four of the book of deacon um all right so next question is from k vale i'd love to hear about box sets i'm getting book six of a nine book series out and i released the first three books in a box set to sort of crickets when it gets a kobo promotion it sells and it had a little google play success but i'm wondering if i'm doing something wrong since the series will be about nine books, I thought I'd do three three-book box sets. But since going wide, book one is free, book two is discounted to two ninety nine, and book three has the normal price of four ninety nine. So seven ninety eight if you buy all three normally. I put the box set price at six ninety nine. Here's what I'm thinking of trying. 
so you can tell me what I'm doing wrong. Uh, mostly, I want to know how you handle wide and KU box sets. Number one, reduce the price to five ninety nine. Sure, that's just a dollar more than book three's price, but things are already pretty wonky with this first box set. Number two, change to a four or five book box set and make the price $9.99. That way it's now a savings of about $3 over buying the four books and I make more overall. I could even add a short story collection to the first box set so it feels like uh, two five book box sets when the series is finished. Uh, and if I do this, do I update the old box set or do I delist it and make a new entry? And option three is cry. What do you think? So what I think is in your situation, I'd start with number three and get that out of the way. I usually cry when I, when I find that I've made a bad decision. Um, but also I went the three book box set route, uh, early on. Well, still, it's still the case with all of my, uh, my series. I did a three book box set. And each book has a free book one. So I have a similar situation where the price of my first box set would have to be pretty low compared to other box sets because otherwise you're not really getting any value out of it. But uh, in the case of the first two series, I did indeed include a bunch of short stories and novellas, some of which were actually exclusive to the box set. Uh, and that was a way to sort of justify less of a discount, or I should say, you know, add more value to the, to the book, uh, to the, to the box set at the time. Uh, if you're going to add books or you're going to add stories to a box set, I would recommend delisting and relaunching. Um, especially if you don't feel as though the sales history of your box set is worth holding on to. Uh, if you do this, however, Make sure to make it extremely clear when you relaunch that it is a relaunch of a box set because some people might, you know, if you have any fans at all, they might end up picking up this new book because it's a new book from you and discover that it's just the box set that they already owned most of. So make your language very clear for your launch of that. You don't want people to get confused, which is also, by the way, why you would want to, uh, why I would recommend delisting and making a new one because adding stuff to a book that's already out is just sort of not often done. And it's very difficult to sort of um, promote when you're just promoting an updated version of another book. So yeah, that's, that's where I am on that subject. I've actually got a box set. It's exactly like this with pricing structure. Book one's a perma-free, book two's $2.99, book three's $3.99, $4.99, I think. So that's one where... Yeah, it doesn't end up, it, I think 599 is kind of what the regular price is I have it at. So it's still a deal. But yeah, it's kind of a weird one. Like a lot of times if books are full price, I can do 999 for a three book box set and it's still a deal. But in that case, I, and you know, but that's okay. Like I find that one of the good things about having it higher priced is that you can perhaps attract a book bub deal more easily because they love to like discount a higher price book down to 99 cents or free just because it looks like a much better deal for them than, uh, like a two ninety nine book down to ninety nine cents, um, so but that is um I my first thought or first thing is that I would recommend just leaving the first box set at three books, especially if you're trying you're writing nine books and you're kind of thinking let's do three trilogy sets that really divides up nicely, not without having to add extra things to try to make it work at four books and five books, and uh, you just it doesn't doesn't need to be nine ninety nine for that first one. Um, for myself, I don't actually do box sets for later books in the series. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. I know Andrea does that and she's got like a set of 
not only does she have the series page on Amazon, but she's got like the, the series of box sets on Amazon. So she ends up with two series pages, uh, which can uh, certainly be a good way to keep people reading on people who like the box sets. But I, I kind of feel like after they've read three, they're going to be fine with continuing to buy the books individually at full price. They're kind of in it at that point. Not that I, I have occasionally had people ask over the year, Hey, is it going to be a discount? I'm like, no, you got the discount. The rest you got to pay for. But uh, part of that is just lazy too. You got to like do more covers and stuff if you're going to continue to bundle it up. But um, you are losing a little bit of money because uh, you're making it a deal for people. Um, so uh, as far as pricing though, with me with box sets, I almost never promote the full price box set or even the, the regular price box set. So if it's five ninety nine or nine ninety nine, I just let it hang out there. You know, yeah, I get some sales and I will occasionally, especially in Kindle if the ones I have in KDP Select, so that they're in KU, I will sometimes have ads running to the box sets at nine ninety nine. So I, I really don't need that many to convert in order to break even on, on those ads. And uh, you know, if I'm breaking even and then they go on and buy the rest of the series you're making money and then with page reads too it can end up being actually more lucrative uh, if you write fairly long books if they're in a box set but uh so i don't think it's surprising at all not to get a lot of sales though just out of the blue on 5.99 box set or 9.99 box set i almost always everything is focused around running deals on those so if it's in kdb select a countdown deal for 99 cents i'll do those often uh if it's it's just an old box set and the series is complete. I will happily make the whole for three books free. You know, you get the every quarter, right? You get five or I, I never remember if it's five days or seven days. I feel like you get seven with the free books. And, you know, run a few ads in conjunction with that to, you know, it can be like, uh, with the free, you know, with real free or cheap stuff, I usually try to get the sponsorship site stuff rather than running the ads because if you're paying per click, it gets really expensive really quickly. So, um, but yeah, the rest of the time I pretty much ignore those bundles and just don't even worry about it. Uh, but yeah, Kobo is a good place where you can, you know, they frequently have deals and they, they the free page has, or like the $10, whatever it costs to get an ad on. They, I think they even have bundle deals from time to time. So yeah, those are worth uh, shooting for. But yeah, it can be tough uh, to sell even bundles at $9.99 uh, just out of the blue to a new reader. So run some sales on those suckers. All right. Next question is from Rick. So I'm still confused over editing. I would love to hear about you guys' process. You draft, you revise, you send to your editor. What kind of edits are they doing and what is your process to deal with them? All right. So uh, my writing process is I do a first draft and then I do a revision. So just read through and address any of the, the, the marks I've made for myself. Ideally, if time permits, which this year, not so much, uh, I do a beta reader pass where I send it off to beta readers and I get my feedback and then I'll address that. And then it goes to my editor and, uh, my, ed my editor does what's called a line edit. Uh, the editor cleans up the grammar and stuff, obviously, but that's not a line edit. That's just called, I believe a copy edit. Uh, the line edit is a little bit more and more in depth, uh, ensure consistent tone and such proper nouns for the book are kept track of in a style sheet. Uh, my editor goes so far as to sort of catalog the idiosyncrasies and dialects of individual characters and make sure that that stays uh, consistent. Uh, in any case, uh, the, the editor will correct the grammar stuff and, and syntax and stuff, make suggestions on different wordings for when a character is somehow, you know, not, not flowing the way they ought to. 
even sometimes catching plot holes. They'll like comment that something is inconsistent with something that was stated earlier in the series or earlier in the, in the book. But my editor does not make any changes. Uh, they're all, well, I mean, they do make changes, like track changes, and I have to apply them. But in terms of actual plot, that's not in my edit. That's what's called developmental editing. Uh, and I've only done develop- developmental editing once. It's much more expensive, as it should be, because you're basically having someone help you write the book. Uh, and honestly, I just prefer, even if it's a new topic that I think I'm going to have trouble with, I would rather spend my time doing the research beforehand than having somebody sort of hold my hand during the uh, the writing process just because I have a really hard time integrating other people's ideas into my writing that weren't, you know, in my plan. So, yeah, that's my process. Uh, my editors don't make any suggestions about a plot or character. For myself, uh, I write the first draft, then I do one editing pass that is basically to both kind of tidy up sentences, but also fix or add anything that I cha- decided to change like as I was writing, because I just do the first draft with no no going back. And so sometimes I make notes to myself, like when I'm doing my editing pass, I have to fix this or kind of add in this thing that's going to come into play later. And at that point, I send it off to my beta readers. And these guys let me know about kind of any big, big picture or character problems that they believe that I should work on and I, you know, whether or not I fix things or not, it kind of depends on if I agree. Uh, and that's going to be usually your relationship with any editor when it's come to the kind of developmental stuff. So these guys are kind of like, you know, my developmental editing pass, you know, my first few books, I went through a workshop with, uh, you know, chapter by chapter with everyone. Uh, and I learned a lot and I learned not to publish my first book <laughs> out of that. So it's actually probably the second book I finished, but probably the fourth book I actually had started that I ended up publishing and becoming my first book. Um, but after the beta readers have it, and then I tinker, you know, so that I've addressed the things that I want to address, I send it off to my editor and she does copy editing. She's occasionally, if something is confusing in a fight scene or something like that, she'll point things out like, hey, this is not real clear. You might need to tinker with that. But mostly she's just like, fixing, you know, I love, uh, my brain likes to leave out, w- randomly leave out words and sentences and things like that. So she does that. Um, I've never paid for a developmental edit. I believe they're in the thousands of dollars. So it's something I usually, I usually suggest do the workshop and you're it's such a learning process when you critique other people as well. Instead of just having your work critiqued, there's kind of a limit to how much you could learn with your work as the foundation versus experiencing reading a lot of other people's and critiquing other people's work. And depending on the workshop, you may get to see comments that other people made on the work that you just critiqued. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that that's totally valid. I didn't see that. Or you may just disagree. And I just found it a really good part of not only learning story structure and plot and all those things, but kind of developing your voice and developing confidence in your own style. You know, when you first join a workshop, you just like everybody, you think everybody's right. And you try to do get rid of all the adverbs. You know, there's a lot of dumb advice that goes around in workshops too. But part of becoming confident in yourself and finding your voice is realizing what is right for you and what's not. And, and then having kind of, it's almost like having a thesis that you have to defend, you know, you're like, well, okay, but I'm keeping these adverbs, but yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> so I, I love workshops, always recommend them. Uh, not to say you can't, it's not useful to pay for a developmental edit, but I feel like as indie authors, we're already paying for probably the copy edit, the cover art. It's very easy to run up to $2,000 pretty quick if you go high end on those things. Uh, if you buy formatting software, you know, 
do you really want to add like another $3,000 on top of that when you don't know yet how much you're going to make from your first book? Uh, so that's my feelings on, on that stuff and my process. Uh, it looks like I gave myself the next question to ask too. <laughs> uh, Rick, Rick D asks, the last one was Rick W. Rick D asks, can you do a perma-free book one on Amazon if you're Amazon exclusive? And we had a similar question from Laxme. Perma-free seri- perma first in series for a series in KU. Any chance to delve into the positives slash negatives of this in an episode? Go ahead, Joe. All right. So as far as I know, you cannot do a perma-free book that is in KU. Uh, they give you free days and you can use those, but you can't go permanently free on an uh, Amazon exclusive book. Uh, I've never done a perma-free book one in a series where the rest was in KU, but I would say that uh, the pros are the same as a perma-free in a wide series. You, it's a lower barrier to entry for new readers. More readers are going to, as a result, funnel through the rest of the series and you'll be able to uh, direct them to your newsletter and, and expose them to the rest of your catalog. The cons, I would say, are that wide folks who pick out your perma-free book one are going to be disappointed to find that they can't get the rest of the series. So you're going to disappoint the audience that you, frankly, aren't targeting, uh, and you need to sort of weigh that into your consideration. And also, uh, having a book one, I don't, don't know for sure about this because of my lack of experience with KU in general, but if you have book one that's not in KU and the rest of it is in KU, there's probably going to be a little bit of a user interface, interface difference. Uh, people who were KU readers might be a little confused and might miss out on book one just because of the difference in which the browsing might occur. I don't know for sure, but I would say that, uh, other than that, you're going to get all the benefits of, of a perma-free book one. Right. So you cannot make it perma-free and have it in KDP Select, but you can choose not to have book one in KDP Select and have the rest of the series in KDP Select. There's nothing against that. Uh, in, in which case you're waiting for Amazon to price match book one to free. So it has to be free in other stores. Uh, I would say this is probably kind of a last ditch effort that you should try. Like if your art, your series is now in KDP Select and you're basically not selling anything with book one at 99 cents and in KU uh, and you've tried promos, maybe you've tried tinkering with your blurb, you've already kind of fixed some stuff and you're just not getting any visibility. Maybe your ads are, if you're trying ads, are not working or a lot of times perma-free book one is something you might try to do if you don't want to spend a lot of money on ads. Um, so, you know, and it's possible that you can do this, but the, the problem is that the rest of your series being in KU, you're probably not going to get much out of that because they're not going to, uh, KU subscribers get recommend, get KU books recommended to them by Amazon's algorithms. It's sort of like, well, they just want to recommend the things that you now have access to and that you're going to enjoy. So they, they, they tend to do a mix of for sale books and KU books. Um, I'm not a KU subscriber and so I don't get, necessarily recommended a whole bunch of KU books. I usually get trad published stuff recommended to me. Maybe that's more what I buy, but that, that's what they, they try to push on me. I hardly ever, I, I'm not sure I ever see Amazon, like stuff that floats up on my app, you know, Kindle app. Here, you should try this free book. Like I don't, so if you do make something free, a perma free book one, you have to assume that you're going to have to do promotions for it. You may get people to just surfing the free list that will find it and, and check it out. But it should be done kind of in conjunction with, you know, running some promos on some of the sponsorship sites. And there are quite a few relatively inexpensive ones. It can get you some downloads of a free book. 
Um, but because that book one is not going to be recommended to people in KU, you're, the people who find your book one, probably not the KU subscribers. So they're going to be buyers of the next books in your series, hopefully, if they liked book one. But that begs the question, like, is it even worth being in KU with the rest of the series? Because uh, it's possible somebody will see that book two is in KU because it's doing well after you run a promo or something. And then they'll go check out book one. And, it, you know, they can certainly grab a free book. That That's no big deal. People, Lots of people are in KU, buy books, and I'm sure some of them grab free books too. But as far as organically finding it, that's probably not going to happen. So, and because when you are in KDP Select, you do have the option to get the like seven free days a quarter. Uh, you can just use those. Like perma-free, I, I definitely see... I continue to get uh, downloads throughout the month, throughout the quarter on, on books that are perma-free, but not to a huge extent with most books. Like the, I have the one box set that does really well, uh, gets a lot of downloads all the time. But um, for the most part, you're going to be doing the promos uh, of your free perma-free book. And you're going to find that most of your downloads come during the period you have the promos anyway. So you could just as well just use the KDP Select free days. So I guess I... Final, final answer is yes, you can do it. Probably you would just want to be all wide with the entire series because that's kind of who you're targeting as far as buyers, buyers of book one or be all in with KDP Select and KU so that people do get that book one recommended to them. All right, next question is from Michelle. Uh, there was some recent drama among a couple of romance authors showing a case of one author plagiarizing another author. Uh, in the time you all have been published. Have you had some personal experience with or have been aware of legitimate plagiarizing and what should new authors be aware of in this regard? Uh, and I will say that I had somebody plagiarize the first five books of the Book of Deacon uh, in their entirety. Well, in a weird way to where they technically wasn't word for word, but it was rewritten. Like they, they took each sentence and rewrote it. It was very strange. Um, I only found out about it because a fan who was looking for books similar to mine found books very similar to mine and let me know about it. Uh, so I guess a few things that you should be aware of from that experience. Uh, unless they are also masquerading as you, it's going to be pretty difficult to even be aware that someone's plagiarizing your stuff. Uh, it's just not the sort of thing. I, like I'm sure the back end is pretty well capable of discovering that stuff, but that's not accessible to you. So there's nothing you're going to be doing in order to see if somebody is plagiarizing your stuff, particularly because unless they are being extremely uh, uh, naive, uh, they're going to change some aspect of the of the book. Usually the names of the main characters or really any proper noun will be changed when they do a plagiarism. So the stuff that makes it easiest to identify your book won't be the same. So don't bother trying to find plagiarism of your stuff. It's, it's not within your power for the most part. Um, if you discover that someone is plagiarizing your stuff uh, and you released your book first, and we must assume that is the case. Otherwise, the question is, how do they get their hands on your book? Uh, you can issue a copyright takedown uh, on most services. Most services will provide you that capability just with a form. Um, in my experience, that might not even be necessary. Uh, when my books were, were plagiarized, I was, I reached out to the person who was responsible. Uh, it turned out he had a Facebook page and, uh, he was eager to take the books down rather than face any sort of copyright, uh, or legal, uh, trouble people tend not to fight too hard when they've been caught. It's very hard to claim that you weren't plagiarizing if it's, 
you know, again, legitimate plagiarism, like they actually took your stuff, it's usually pretty open and shut and will be found in favor of the person who, who released the book originally. So nobody wants the copyright strike. Nobody wants to have to deal with any sort of legal stuff. So they're usually pretty quick to comply. Uh, and chances are pretty good. Uh, plagiarism won't be costing you much. Like plagiarists usually don't make a gigantic amount of money off of their plagiarism. There are notable examples where that was not the case. Uh, but generally speaking, if these people were really savvy marketers, uh, they would probably be making successful books on their own. They wouldn't need to, to take somebody else's stuff. So I treat plagiarism in this way, uh, similar to the way I treat uh, piracy, which is to say I don't look for pirates and I don't usually uh, uh, do anything when I find pirates. Uh, it's such a small impact on my sales that I just, I don't think about it too much. It stinks when it happens, but plagiarism isn't something that weighs too much on my mind, even knowing that it had happened with the, with the majority of one of my series. I can tell you uh, that series, I had over a thousand reviews on book one and the plagiarist had nine reviews on book one. So I don't think they were making a pretty big impact on my sales. Yeah. Yours was weird. That was like not even a year ago, right? That was pretty recently. Yeah, that was recent. And I remember looking and it's like they rewrote the whole books and just kind of like, you know how you random, there's like art, what do they call it? Content spinners or something where they take an article on the internet and just like doo -doo -doo -doo, run it through software and slightly change the sentences. <laughs> like, is that what this guy did? Why? I hope it's what he did. Cause otherwise it's like, why would you spend so much time hand copying, but slightly changing entire novels? Just write your own novel. <laughs> uh, in my case, it, they usually just, deal it all outright. <laughs> like I've, you know, everything from um, my audiobooks pop up on YouTube constantly, especially now that I have stuff of my own up on there. So usually somebody tells me YouTube's really fast about filing. Uh, if you file a takedown notice, you know, and like your name is <laughs> the name of the, you know, your name on your email address and domain name or the name of the author, they don't seem to look too closely and just like, okay, take them down. Uh, I've had other incidents, man, there were, with stuff that's in KDB Select that has shown up, you know, here it is supposed to be exclusive with Amazon. And, oh, the book is on, for sale on Apple uh, under some other publisher's name. That's a pain because Amazon usually sends you a nasty bot and like, hey, you need to take this book down. And you're like, well, I didn't put it there. <laughs> that's when it can be really helpful to have a rep or like uh, the distributors are good. Like Dan Wood at Drafted Digital, he Drafted Digital helped me out um, even before I had any books on Drafted Digital. So I've always appreciated them for that. Helped me get some stuff taken down from Apple that went up there. Um, what else have I had done? Oh, just this last year for me, somebody claimed one of my audiobooks on ACX where the audiobook is that I put together is the three book box set. So that's why there's no, like, cause you can go in ACX and you can just claim anybody's book. It's like, they don't even look apparently. Uh, so you just like type in do, 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 ah, Lindsay Broker, book one, uh, dragon blood. Uh, so somebody made an audio book of the book and I don't, I didn't listen to, and you know, it was like a nine hour audio or maybe it was like a seven hour audio book that should, like it would have been a nine hour audio book. So not only did they take my book, create a whole production and publish the audio book through ACX, but they did a crummy job of it. Like it was, though the cover was horrible. I was embarrassed. Was like, don't put my name on that. That's horrible. <laughs> And then whatever they did, they didn't even read the whole story because it was not long enough to account for that. So I was like, oh my gosh, that sucks. People are going to actually buy that on accident. Um, so fortunately, that series is with Podium Publishing. So I emailed them. But even going through them, it took a couple of days before ACX uh, took it down and acted. And 
I was just like horrified. Like, I hope nobody buys this. But, you know, it's one of those things where you could tell it actually had a sales ranking. So I was like, oh God, somebody bought this. So that is one of the risks if you do box sets is that your individual titles are available to be claimed (laughs) on the, on the stores. Or if you just haven't done audiobooks, you might check. Like if you sell pretty well in ebooks, go check on, make sure. And you haven't done audiobooks, make sure somebody else hasn't. So that stuff just seems to be pretty rampant. Um, but as far as outright plagiarism, I don't know, like, I don't have a story like Joe's where somebody that I know of has like copied the whole book and, and put it up for sale, you know, you know, and as far when it's just like somebody copied your idea or like, it's really similar, you know, I have had a couple of times where fans are like, you know, this book is a lot like your Emperor's Edge series, you know, like, yeah, it is just people do that. It happens. I, I've certainly been inspired by other authors. I've certainly, you know, never written anything to the extent that it's similar to anybody's going to be accusing me of plagiarism, but just take, in some cases like that, you can just take it as a compliment. They're like, yeah, they were inspired by my story and, and wrote something similar because uh, they wanted to do their own version. Different from... Uh, now, if it is like Joe's case where obviously it's the same story and they just rearranged, w- changed words and sentences a little bit, that's a different thing and probably worth pursuing if you can get it... You know, like Joe said, if you can get it taken down without hiring a lawyer, that would be ideal. At, at the point where they're not going to do it, if you don't get a lawyer involved, then you kind of have to decide, is it worth it? Are the other person's books selling? If they're making a ton of money off of something that they plagiarize from you, that might be worth it if you can try to get the money back. But uh, yeah, in, in most cases, I just would say be flattered, <laughs> you know, as much as it's possible. I know it kind of every great, every time somebody's like, somebody put your book on, on YouTube again, I'm like, stop doing that. It wastes my time. I mean, to go file a takedown notice, but uh, since since I do make money from the ads on YouTube, I don't want somebody else making my money. And, and sometimes they're not even books that are allowed to be up there because they're exclusive with Audible or the publisher has the rights to them. So in that case, I will pursue it. All right. I think we might have time. Let's just do one more. We're coming up on the hour and my old dog is hot tonight. She's just wandering around the house like, why is it summer coming? Why is it? It's only like 69 because I have the AC on for her. But you know how it is when you get old. It's tough. All right. Nina asks, I may have missed an episode on your show on how to gain newsletter subscribers, but I've listened to several other people and I'm still not clear on how to garner interest. I have 10 published books and I've been really lax on doing this. Uh, I have not been the most proactive newsletter builder and it shows. In a recent episode, we talked about what our uh, newsletter size was and mine was about half as big as the next largest on the show. But, uh, I have uh, built, you know, thousands of people onto my newsletter list, and here's how I did it. Uh, I make sure the newsletter link is prominent on my social media. I don't use, well, yeah, I, I make sure my newsletter link is prominent. Wherever I'm going to be doing anything, if I have the capacity to direct somebody toward either my newsletter or my website where you can sign up for my newsletter, I do that. Uh, my newsletter link, therefore, is very prominent on my book my my author site it is what they say above the fold um i also make sure that my newsletter link is in all of my back matter it's usually my call to action uh even when i have more books in the series for people to read through to i generally assume that they'll find those even without clicking on a link so usually the only active link in my in my uh my back matter is my newsletter link uh and uh even 
even if you do want people to click through to your next book and you choose to make that your call to action, I would still at least mention it in your back matter. And I would make it the active link in any book that doesn't have a natural read through to the next thing, like the last in the series, or if it's a standalone, I would make my newsletter link the only thing in the back matter you can click on. Um, Free first in series and reader magnets are, of course, fantastic ways to get people to sign up for your newsletter. Even if somebody uh, picked up your free book because it was free, uh, if you, and this is the next thing, if you make a perk for signing up for your newsletter and you make it clear in their, when, you know, when somebody sees the opportunity to sign up for your newsletter, you'll be getting a free novella or a free novel or a free short story or a free collection of short stories. Uh, that's, you know, somebody who is a free seeker uh, will probably still sign up for your newsletter if they know they're going to be getting another free thing for it. And once they're on your newsletter, every, uh, you know, letter you send is an opportunity for them to, you know, maybe give another of your books a try. And I, with, with a newsletter perk, for many years, I would do a new one about every six months because I tend to write a lot of short stories. It's, it's sort of how I cool off after a, a novel. Uh, these days I have stuck with the same newsletter perk, but because I have the Patreon now, I tend to continue accumulating short stories. Uh, the new newsletter perk is a collected edition of all of the in-series short stories I've written. So swapping out new perks periodically uh, gives you something to talk about when people might want to sign up. And in general, is just another way to make sure that your newsletter is appealing. Uh, yes, and I will just add that you know, to, it doesn't matter so much how many books you have published is kind of how many you've sold and how many people have read them. Like the more people, more fans you have, the easier it's going to be to get people onto your newsletter. So that's a, a thing to consider too. It's kind of like reviews. People ask like, well, how do you get like hundreds of reviews? It's like, well, you get like tens, tens of thousands of people to read the book and uh, then the reviews kind of come. So, but um, yeah, the things Joe said that you, you can do is that just at the back of the book, have an offer you know, sign up for my newsletter and get free prequel, like we we're talking about. Uh, something exclusive works best because uh, if people can just buy it for ninety nine cents at the store, they're they're like, eh, I'm gonna sign up for a newsletter. Um, you know, and then have a link on your site and maybe have your bonuses listed. One of the things I do for my fantasy newsletter is that if people come in through my website, they're not necessarily coming from the back of the book because they wanted X bonus. I've got a series bundle of book ones of my fantasy. It's great to get to the point when you have enough books out that you can have four book ones of different series. And I give those away. And that's one of those things that kind of just over time continues to get people into the backlist stuff. Uh, like maybe they come into the newsletter from a new series that I have out and they came for that particular bonus, but they got the other one too. And they're like, Oh, I have all these four book ones I can try. And so I'll definitely see a lot of like people go on to buy. Uh, you know, like when I have a new series going on that's doing well, I'll also get more people reading the older stuff because they're getting that bonus and they're getting to try those books for free. So yeah, basically just having something, a reason for people to give you their email address because people can be hesitant about that. They don't necessarily want to get emailed. Uh, other people are like excited about it. They want to hear from their favorite author and they never care, but you can kind of get the on the fence people with, with a bonus. But Again, unless you're going to go out and kind of do the newsletter swaps and do promos and, and things like that with other authors to try to get people that aren't familiar with you onto a newsletter, which you can, that's, that's valid. That's a valid way to build a newsletter. You usually have to put more work into the newsletter to turn those people into buyers. But for most part, it's kind of like 
your newsletter grows, the more books that you sell. So that's, that's something to consider too. All right, Joe, any parting thoughts? We'll wrap it up for tonight. Um, nope. I think I'm fresh out of wisdom. All right. Me too. Thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes. We'll leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. And Joe's got a blog post about his plagiarism story that uh, he's going to give me the link to. And I can put that in the show notes if you're curious about that. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. So long, everybody.